Hey, Jonathan and worship team, good morning church again. Uh, my name is Jeff Skipper, one of the pastors here at Redeemer, and great to be with you guys as we continue to look at our series uh, in Hebrews 11, if you haven't been with us. We've been going through the book, uh, not the book of Hebrews, but just that chapter, and if you're familiar with this chapter, over and over again, the phrase, by faith, is repeated, and the author is really working his way through the Old Testament, okay? Uh, and I hope you've been encouraged and, and challenged, uh, like the people being written to here. Uh, they were in a situation where they were tempted to lose heart, and surely we can, we can do the same, uh, living in a fallen world and on this long journey of faith with sickness and sin and doubt and fear and all of these things. And one of the most vital ingredients we need is endurance, as Jonathan referred to just a moment ago. As a matter of fact, if you flip back in chapter 10, verse 36, the author said this to the people, the Hebrews that he was writing to. He said, for you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And that Greek word endurance, what it means is the ability to bear up under difficult circumstances and keep going. Do you need that? And the way the author seeks to, to fan their endurance into flame, he tries to kind of give some electrolytes to their souls as he tells stories. He tells stories of uh, great lives of faith of those who have who've come before us, and he's inspiring them. And that theme of story is, is important, really, in our faith as a whole. Uh, Francis Spufford said, We don't have an argument that solves the problem of the cruel world, but we have a story. We don't have an argument. We have a story, and that's what Christianity gives us. It gives us this grand story to help us make sense of why are things the way that they are? Why are you the way that you are? Why am I the way that I am? Why do I long for the things that I long for? And in this big story is where we find our own story, right? And, and as we look to the love of God in Jesus and his promises, we link arms with one another. Also, we link arms with the saints who came before us so that we can keep pressing on towards the prize, just like they did. Those are the stories that the author is telling, but like any long-winded preacher, he's, he's reaching the end of his time. At least he's self-aware, and he realizes that. He's like, I've been preaching a while. Uh, I'm running out of time. If you look back in verse 32 of chapter 11, right, he's been going through all of these great saints, and he says, well, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. He says, you know, I, you, get, you get my point. I'm using various illustrations, and I'm driving home the same point over and over and over again. I'm running out of paper. I'm running out of time. I'm not even going to tell those stories. And so he kind of starts to land the plane. He wraps up his stories, and he comes to this great turn in chapter 12, verse 1. If you look there in the text on the insert or in one of your Bibles, uh, he says, therefore, which is obviously a pretty important conjunction, right? He's, what that means is, hey, in light of everything I've just said, Here's what this means for you. And he's going to really give his ultimate example. Now remember, in the original text, when the Bible was written, there weren't chapter breaks. right? It's not like he turned to chapter 12 now. This is just one letter. It would have flowed right into this next part in chapter 12. So it's still part of his argument and teaching. So uh, in your pew Bibles, if you turn to page 1008, that's where I'm at. So you can actually read the end of chapter 11 into chapter 12 and see how it would have just naturally flowed. And through the whole book, he's been giving exhortations. He's been calling this people to, to lives of faith and really lives of action. 
And the whole letter, he's been using that word, therefore. Uh, This is kind of fun, too. If you flip back in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1. And now he says, therefore, 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 therefore. And there's there's some other therefores in there. They just don't start chapters. You get his point, right? And he's urging us to keep going with Jesus. Keep going for Jesus. Keep going ultimately to Jesus. Because he knows. He's living this life too. He knows we grow weary. He knows we grow faint-hearted. And I just ask you this morning, is that where you are? Surely the answer is yes if you spend like five seconds to examine the various areas of your heart and mind and life and relationships. Are you tired? He wants us to know there's grace for strugglers and there's grace for stragglers like all of us in Jesus. And there's power to keep going. And that's good news. And so just hear these few verses, these couple verses really from chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Be on the screen, in your Bible, on your phone app, on your insert, wherever. You've got to have the scripture in front of you, right? No excuse. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is God's word. I just want to look at three points. You'll see there on that insert, uh, run the race, lay aside, and looking to Jesus. And so like, like any good preacher, just like Jesus did, right, when he taught, the author frames his teaching in an in a illustration, in a metaphor, And he he saves this metaphor really for his final example, and it's a picture of maybe like the Olympic Games, uh, which is timely. They're rescheduled, coming up this summer. And he says the Christian life is a race. He said, let's think, he paints that picture. Let's think about the Christian life as a race. But it's not just any race, right? This this is not the 100-meter dash. Uh, This is a race that requires endurance. And we've, we've all probably been guilty, if you've ran even races back in grade school, of coming out too hot in a race, I got to run a six-mile race with Jonathan a few months ago, and I thank God I had him to pace me so that I didn't die one mile in, uh, which really reminds us of the Christian life, right? I mean, if you've been in the church for long, if you've been a Christian for long, and we've seen many who were seemingly converted and came to faith, and, and they were really just on fire for Jesus, and then maybe they're nowhere to be found a few years later. And so the cliche of, it, you know, it doesn't matter how you start, it matters how you finish, that's very true when it comes to the Christian life. Kind of a confrontational question, just straight out of the gate. If you think about the Christian life as a race, one obvious question is, are you going to finish well? I mean, that that alone is probably worth reflecting on this week. Am I going to finish well? The Apostle Paul was obviously aware of that question. As he wrote to young Timothy, he was nearing the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, and he said, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. And so there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. I mean, I, I've never run a marathon. I hope I never do run a marathon. Um, but I can, I can imagine there are a few things more tragic, tragic than like dropping out at mile 23. That's got to be terrible. And maybe you've been in the race for a while, but maybe you've begun to fade. Maybe you're slipping back into isolation. You're isolating yourself. Uh, you're being attracted. You're just becoming kind of more worldly and selfish, and you're wasting your time. You're not stewarding your gifts and your resources well for the kingdom, right? Rather than living a life of faith, you're just like circling the wagons a little bit. You're building bigger barns, 
as Jesus told a story about? Your heart's beginning to narrow as you age. I don't want to end that way. There's so many questions that, that pop to mind when we, when we frame this picture, when we consider this illustration alone, right? One, the confrontational question, are you running the Christian race? Which leads to another question, well, what race are you running? Because right? we're all running some race. Some of us are so busy running the rat race, right? We don't even have time for our souls, right? Filling up your schedule with, with good things is deadly if you're neglecting the most important things, which reminds us of Jesus's question. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Are you caught up in the rat race? Are you in the race to keep up with the Joneses, right? Are you in the race to climb the corporate ladder? Are you in the race to just constantly earn the approval of other people, which will come and go? Are you in the race to outrun suffering and hard things, which you'll never outrun that on this side of heaven, right? We pack our schedules so full, we, we race from one appointment to the next in our Western busy society. We should have like siesta or something, but we don't. That's not the main application of the sermon. I'll keep going, but we pack our schedules so full. We're racing around even with kids' activities, good things, and before you know it, there's no room for spiritual life, and so this is a call to take inventory of your life. Like, what race are you running? What path are you on, and where will that path end? It doesn't take a whole lot of self introspection or reflection to sit and think, let me trace out the trajectory of the race that I'm on. Where will that end? And, and, I'm, and am I building on, on sand instead of solid ground? What race are you running? The author says not any race course will do either. In 1980, uh, Rosie Ruiz won the Boston Marathon, which you can imagine how exciting that was. The problem is they found out that she actually disappeared on the course and she reappeared a half a mile from the finish line. Imagine that. Um, she was stripped of her title. You can't run any, any race you want. You can't run any course you want. You've got to run the one that's been prepared, right? Somebody goes out early in the morning and they set up the race course and they set up signs and cones and so on. And the author says the same here. We're to run the race that is set before us. There's a shape to the race that is the Christian life. It's, it's one of faith and repentance. That's what he's been tracing out through this whole chapter. It's a race of faith and following God. It's a race of picking up crosses and actually moving into hard things. It's a race of forgiveness and mercy of trusting God and not giving up. The race has been marked out by God. The race has been marked out by the work of Jesus. The race has been marked out by the lives of those who've come before us, all of Hebrews 11 says. And like any race course, there's challenging parts, right? There's uphill parts and there's Moments of refreshing along the way where maybe you run along Lake Howard and you get a moment to just breathe, right? Moments of grace in the Christian life. But the truth is we grow weary. We don't always feel like running. Right? We despair, we, we doubt. There's times when God seems absent as we're running this race and that's why the author says let us run the race. There's a corporate nature to the race. I ran side by side with Jonathan all the way, right? We don't run alone. And smart runners do that. Smart runners stay in a pack. Nobody's rogue. And the same goes for the Christian life, which is why Paul is writing letters to churches, to groups, which is God's design, that we would stay in the pack. The race is a group effort. Let us run the race. But even still, we, we grow weary when we're not being encouraged when we're running a race. Uh, I, you know, watching sports during COVID, the little bit of sports that there actually was was so sad. It was so sad watching sports. It was so boring. I lost interest. Why? There were no fans. I didn't realize. I even appreciated the fake fan noise. 
You know, that was intriguing. And now that baseball stadiums are packed and, and all of this, there's more intensity in the game. Actually, athletes are even saying, like, how different the experience is. That's how we're wired. We need encouragement. Thank God for encouragers. Can I just say, encouragers are underrated. Let's just go ahead and put that out there. Encouragers are totally underrated. And the author knows this. And so he says right there at the beginning of chapter 12, he says, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And most of the commentators say this gives the idea of them cheering us on. He's referring to everybody back in chapter 11. There's a sense in, in which Abraham and Sarah and Moses and David, all of whom have finished the race, are standing at the finish line and watching as we run and cheering us on to keep going and finish well. Jesus kind of painted that picture. He said there's joy in heaven when a sinner repents. They're tuned in. So do you see the Christian life as a marathon? It's a long race. Actually, there's grace in that. Maybe you've had a rough couple last miles. That's bound to happen, but that's not the whole story, right? Paul says in another place in the New Testament, let's forget what lies behind and let's press on ahead. The author here in Hebrews says, keep going. Don't give up. Hey, you're not alone. Stay in the pack. Check your pace. It's a long race. Take it one mile at a time. Or maybe this illustration is just a wake-up call. Like maybe you've gotten off course like Rosie Ruiz, <laughs> trying to take a shortcut, or you've just faded, or you've sat down to rest, and you've fallen asleep, and the author comes along, and he shakes us, and he says, hey, get up, keep running. Don't grow weary. But that's not the end, right? He's, he's also honest, and he reminds us that there's going to be hindrances along the way as we run this race. Recently, I was picking my boys up. I have three boys, 10 and under. Uh, and I was in the pickup line at school, and two of them hopped in the car, and another one never showed up, uh, which hasn't happened before. So the teacher said, you need to pull over in this parking spot and just wait a while. And I waited like 10 minutes. You know, I don't know what's going on. All of a sudden, one of my boys comes out literally hopping to the car. He had tied his shoes together so tight, nobody could get him untied, not even the teachers. And he bounced all the way to the truck. Couldn't untie him, right? Similarly, the author says there are two things that can trip us up. Surely there's a million things, right? There's a lot of other things he could have talked about, like the cares of this world and all of these things. But he specifically points out two things that can trip us up and slow us down in our running. He says, hey, you need to look out for these things as you're running the race. He actually says, lay them aside. And, the, and most commentators actually see a difference in the two things here. The first one, he says, lay aside every weight, if you look there in the text, which actually means just take off every weight. I don't know if you've ever run with a, with a sandbag on your back or a weight vest, but, you know, it's brutal. To travel well, you've got to take the weight off. We went backpacking on the Appalachian Trail a few years ago, and it was my first time. I was a, a rookie for sure, so I packed, like, my Kindle. It's like an old-school Kindle that weighs, like, 14 pounds. Uh, I had that. I had extra sandals, like heavy sandals, too, like with eight straps. I don't know why I brought those. So many snacks. It was so heavy. And I learned the hard way over 30 miles in a few days that, you know, I heard that the real backpackers actually cut their toothbrushes in half to save every ounce because 20 miles in, you're going to feel that ounce. I promise. Right? It's true for Olympic training, too, with the athletes. They have to say no to a lot of good things. There's a lot of things you want to take along the way, but you have to put them off. Right? Things that they enjoy because those things can hinder their ability to get in the best shape possible, to travel most efficiently and effectively and successfully. And so the author says here, he says, you know, as you, as you travel this Christian 
course, there's going to be a lot of good things. And often, they're very good things. There's kind of like nothing wrong with those things in a vacuum in and of themselves. But those things can weigh you down. Like busy schedules we talked about a minute ago. Or an unhealthy interest in news and politics. Or hobbies. Find things. Finances. Things we need to give attention to. Even leisure. And the author says... There might be some things in there that you need to lay aside and you need to put off because they're slowing you down in your spiritual growth. They're hindering your progress. And as a matter of fact, you don't realize it, but they're slowly taking you off course. Slowly. It's a slow fade. Right? It's usually not the big big fall. It's the slow fade. What might be weighing you down that you need to throw off? Pastor Sinclair Ferguson said the question you need to ask as you take inventory of your heart and your life isn't to look at those things and say, well, what's wrong with it? I'm allowed to do it. We're free in Christ, right? Which, okay, slow down, right? He says that's actually spiritual immaturity, just trying to see what you can get away with. He says the, the right question you need to ask as you take inventory of the things that may be weighing you down is how is this helping me know, love, and serve Jesus? And is this going to build me up as a Christian or is this going to draw me away? That's the question as you examine those things. Not is it okay? Can I do it? Can I get away with it? It's fine. I'm not hurting anybody. <laughs> but is this building me up or is this drawing me away? Right? Even the gifts of God can become hindrances, weights that need to be laid aside for the race that's set before us. He says, lay aside every weight, but then he also says, and the sin which clings so closely. And so that first one, I think that's easier to identify. We can easily kind of look out and see many things in our lives that are are weighing us down. That's part of the work. That's good work. But it's one thing to start eliminating temptations outside of ourselves. Like, I want to manage my devotional life and time better. I want to steward my money and and time and gifts more effectively for eternal purposes. Like just moving these pieces on the outside. But it's another thing to look inward and address the sins that we harbor and even the ones we're not even aware of. Right? Lay aside every weight. That's those outside things. How am I doing out here? But now he says, and the sin which cling. What What a true descriptor about sin. It clings. I got a new puppy, and everywhere I go, he's there, right? No matter how many times I kick kick him off, right? If I ascend to the highest heaven, you are there. That's what it feels like with him. No matter where I go and how true of sin, it clings, man. I can come out of a worship service, you have no rival, walk into the van, and I'm like snapping at my family all of a sudden, like grumbling before I even get to the van, even before I get to the car, sin clings, I mean, and we have some sins we're so comfortable with, we don't even notice they're there. Those are the most dangerous ones. Irritability, gossip, greed and materialism, jealousy, lust, anger. And we can put all these sins on on an operating table and dissect them and objectively judge them as bad things, but man, they feel good to indulge, don't they? Right, the sins... The author says the sins that's hindering your growth and killing your spiritual life most effectively are the ones you're not even aware of. And so the author is exhorting us. He says, hey, to reach the finish line, you've got to do some work, right? To complete the race, you need to do some inner work, some repentance, be sanctified. There's like some spiritual exercise. Get in the gym in that regard. Be intentional, be thoughtful, be ruthless. Jesus said that, right? Remember when he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, Tear it out and throw it away? What? Can you say that again, Jesus? (laughs) He says it's better that you lose one of your members 
than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Extreme, right? The Puritan John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Slowly, yeah. Secretly, but surely. The, the word clings actually means constricting. I pictured like a boa constrictor just slowly wrapping around you invisibly, right? Quietly, but surely. And that's the picture of sin that's painted, which is scary. And yet left to ourselves, if we're not vigilant, that is what happens. And so this is a call to spiritual awareness, to introspection, to put ourselves in the way of God's surgical means of grace, like we're doing right now, his word and prayer, and to surround ourselves with Christian friends that can help us become aware of those sins that we can't see, which takes a lot of humility and takes a lot of security in Jesus to let others speak into our lives. Help me see those things that I can't see. So this isn't like a fun field day race. <laughs> There's a lot of work to do while we're running. Now, thankfully, the work is to lighten our load, to, to, to lay off the weights and the sins. And, and there's more, right? To, to cast our cares upon the Lord and he'll sustain us. Our fears and our anxiety and our worries and our unbelief and even our grief and our sadness to continually be laying it aside, putting it on him. And yet the truth is, if we're honest, if we slow down here just a minute and we take a breath, this feels impossible. Because if the, the results of the race depends upon our ability to run it well, if the results of the race depends upon our ability to effectively lay aside all the things that hinder us in our running, which we've probably tried many times before, then I think we're probably defeated before we ever step on the track. Because at this point, if you stop here, I think you're, we're, we're tempted to just turn to our own inner resources. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig down deep. I'm going to like refocus. I'm going to like turn on worship music in the morning and read my devotional. Good things. But I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to resort to techniques and spreadsheets and self-help and willpower. And recognizing this, uh, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, he said, we are compelled, even before we take a step in the running, to bow the knee and cry unto the strong for strength. If we're honest, we know how quickly we run out of gas. We know how easily we, we give in to temptation and we get lazy and we settle for less and we run off course and we get off into the sand spurs or we despair and we lay down and we give up and so it's almost like you get to this point and if you're really honest you start to think man who who will help us and the author has set us up this way of course skillfully after calling us to run the race that God laid out for us with endurance while throwing off our sins and our, all those other weights and getting some encouragement from those who came before us. He knows the true key to running and finishing well is verse 2, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Right? What, what we look at determines our direction. If you don't believe me, next time you walk or run or mow, just stare down at your feet the whole time and see where you end up. Right? I tell you to do that while you're driving. I don't want you to wreck. Same thing, right? Your eyes govern your direction. And so a good runner, right? They're looking up. They're looking ahead at the finish line. And so the author says the only way to run this race, to endure, to put to death, lay aside sins and idols, to finish and all of that is to constantly look to the one who ran the race before us, who ran the race for us, and who mysteriously even runs the race with us. Jesus ran the race before us, he runs the way, ran the race for us, and he even mysteriously runs the race with us. Look 
to Jesus. Even, even the way you lay aside sin is not by looking at sin, but by looking at Jesus, and you lay aside sin as a byproduct of looking to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Remember how Peter, when did he begin to sink? Right? He started sinking when he took his eyes off Jesus, and he started looking at the waves and the winds and all of the what-ifs. Like where, where are you doing that? I can't tell you how quickly I sink into fear and self-preservation and I become a head case when I take my eyes off Jesus. I, I, I land there. And it happens multiple times a day. That's why all of life is repentance. All of life is looking back to Jesus and his promises. Why? Well, the author says first, verse 2, he says, because Jesus is the founder of your faith. Which means he's the one who put us into the race to begin with. Like, we, we wouldn't even be in the race if he hadn't first called us because it's not like we were out looking for him. Amen? He put the love of God into our hearts. He gave us the ability to follow him. I remember this, this old hymn that says, My Lord, I did not choose you. No, that could never be. My heart would still refuse you had you not chosen me. Mystery of mysteries, that he would seek me out. The lost sheep. Right? If we were the founders of our faith, we'd be proud. Because if we can find a way to be proud, we will. <laughs> we'd use it as a weapon to look down on others. I'm running the race. Why aren't you in the race? But if he is the founder, the author of me even being in the race, and it's all by grace, then I have no option but to be humble and grateful and to worship him. He put us in the race. And maybe if you're a Christian, maybe you remember that time. Think back on your story and your testimony. When you weren't looking for him, he found you. He saved you. He called you to himself. He gave you a new heart. And maybe you ran, you came out the gate hot. You probably did. That's great. <laughs> and maybe you ran after him for a while, but maybe your eyes have started to wander. Well, today, in his tender grace, he calls you to look again. He calls us to look again. He's, he doesn't lecture us. There's no condemnation because he's a father who loves to find us again and again. And he loves to forgive us again and again. And he loves to restore us again and again. He's the author, the founder of our faith. But not only that, thank God, the author says he's also the perfecter of our faith. So another way to say that is he's the finisher of our faith. God doesn't start the work and put us in the race and say, okay, good luck. See you at the finish line. Jesus makes things complete. That's what he does. Philippians 1.6, I am sure this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's amen moment. He finishes what he starts. The prophet Isaiah said, listen, listen to me, O house of Jacob, who have been born by me from before your birth, I carried you from the womb, even to your old age I am he. And to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and I will save. We sing sometimes, tis grace that brought me safe thus far. We don't stop there. We sing and grace will lead me home. It's not if, but when. Jesus ran the race before us perfectly in every place we failed. That's the gospel. Not just that he died on the cross for us. He did. He took the weight of our sins upon himself. Every time we've went off into the sandsburrs, he, he took them upon himself, right? He endured the cross, but he ran the race perfectly in our place. He endured the cross. He despised its shame, and he cried out. What did he cry out? It is finished. And it, and it wasn't simply his race that was finished, but mysteriously, 
In a way, the work of the salvation of his people was finished, which is why the author goes on to say, so he sat down, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's an image of completeness. What hope? Because he endured, he can bring us with him the rest of the way is what the author is saying. Salvation is by grace from start to finish. He calls us, he carries us, he brings us home. That's the promise. God's not going to leave you like one of these subdivisions that got started around here and it's been sitting there for like five years halfway done, which is how we all look right now, right, spiritually. No offense, it just is. He's going to finish what he started. Don't despair. The race is long and some sins cling so closely and, and, and honestly some sins we won't be able to put off until we're with him, but he will make us new. One old hymn says, Dear dying lamb, Thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransom ones of God be saved to sin no more. And we keep singing that, be saved to sin no more. Are you running? Jesus completed the race, but he did it, the author says, for the joy that was set before him, the joy of hearing his father say, well done, good and faithful servant, the joy of bringing his children home, and the same joy awaits us. And by the Holy Spirit, we actually enter into that joy right now. And so really the call is here, this old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's do that now. Father, thank you that you are faithful, Lord. Thank you for metaphors and stories and illustrations that help us understand how you love us and how to make sense of what it feels like to follow you and how to make sense of how hard life can feel and how long it can feel going after you. Lord, we pray that you would, Holy Spirit, give us endurance. Give us big spiritual lungs to press on. And God, you're so gracious, you're so kind wherever we're at today. And surely some of us are straggling way in the back and we're stumbling our way, and we've fallen multiple times, or we're laying on the side of the, the race course, or, and we want to give up. Oh, God, help us to lift up our eyes to you, Jesus, as you call us. But you don't just call us to get up and figure it out on our own, but you come and you pick us up because you are with us. You run the race with us, even as you've ran the race before us and in our place. Oh, Lord God, come and meet us where we're at. Give us grace, Lord, as we continue to press on to see you face to face until we sin no more. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Whew, those are like straight revival hymns right there. That's great stuff. Um, hear this good word uh, as we may feel insufficient for the race. It's because we are, because we're not able. But the good news is he's able, Right? And, and the promise is that he will bring us to completion. He will present us before himself. Praise the Lord. So hear this good word from the book of Jude as you go. If your faith is in Christ. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Go in God's peace.